Well, this morning we, we have the privilege of celebrating Mother's Day together. I want to give you guys a, a little background on that. might not know where Mother's Day comes from. Actually, it comes uh, from actually our country not too long ago on Memorial Day in 1876. While the nation was still mourning those who had died in the Civil War, uh, there was a woman named Anna Reeves Jarvis, who taught a Sunday school lesson on that Memorial Day at a small church in Grafton, West Virginia. And she prayed that one day there would be a Memorial Day, not just for soldiers, but one for mothers. Well, that prayer made a deep impression on one of her 11 children. Uh, Her young daughter, Anna, had seen her mother's efforts to hold together that community in that church in the midst of the Civil War. And uh, she really wanted to honor her mother by creating Mother's Day, a Memorial Day for mothers. So on the day of her mother's memorial service, right after her mom had died, May 10th, 1908, she gave a carnation, her mother's favorite flower, to each guest. And that rapidly grew into a tradition all across our country. A few years later, 1914, it was declared a a national holiday. The second Sunday in May will forever be Mother's Day. So that's what we're going to celebrate this morning. We want to honor our moms for the irreplaceable role they've had in our lives. And uh, we want to honor a couple moms in particular. actually want to give them uh, some red carnations. That's the official flower of Mother's Day. Um, So I'd like to recognize a couple moms here. First would be our newest mom. I'd like you to, to raise your hand. Do we have any moms in here who've been a mom for six months or less? Just raise your hand. Six months or less? Oh, we've got some. Right here, yes, okay. Our newest mom. All right, we'd like to recognize our newest mom as David brings her flowers. Great. Okay, and second, we'd like to recognize, and I've got to get the wording right here, we want to recognize our mother of longest duration. Now, (laughs) that does not mean our oldest mom. That means our our mom who has been a mom in this room for the longest number of years. So let me start by asking, do we have any any, uh, ladies here who've been a mom for 45 years? Anyone a mom for 45 years? Right here, a mom for 45 years. Okay, David, if you'll bring her some flowers. All right. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm glad we brought extras of the carnations. So we've got a tie right back here, David. If you'll just raise your hand, David will bring you some flowers. It's great to have you ladies with us this morning. That's awesome. Well, um, I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, I really never actually wanted to preach a Mother's Day sermon. And a couple reasons for that. Uh, first, actually, Julie and I, uh, for a long time, were, were not able to have kids. And so during that period, Mother's Day was actually not pleasant at all. It was really a painful time. Uh, second reason was that I always kind of felt like Mother's Day, it, it falls on the last Sunday we have you students with us. So wouldn't it be better to focus on you as we launch you into the world? Um, but then we had kids. And for 18 months now, I have been watching uh, the weight that my wife bears on her shoulders as she raises our kids. And I've been seeing the incredible impact that she has in their lives and and in their spiritual formation. And I realized, you know what, Um, one Sunday a year is a very small price to pay for what our moms do for the role that our mothers have in our lives, for the incredible work that they put into raising us. One Sunday a year is nothing for that. So this morning, we're going to call Isaiah done, and we're going to focus on the moms. We, as we go through and we talk about um, what it means to be a mother and what mothers do in the lives of their kids, 
I do plan, though, as we go through this sermon to make it applicable to all of us, because there's a lot of us here who aren't moms. Uh, The good news is every one of us who is here, who is trusted in Jesus Christ, all of us have a role to play in the spiritual development of the next generation. Every believer in Jesus Christ has been called to invest their lives, what they have received from the Lord, into the lives of, of the younger generation, whether that means investing in kids or investing in your peers who more recently came to the faith. All of us are called to be involved in that process, and ultimately that's what this morning is about. How do we invest our our faith and our knowledge of the word and our love for others? How do we invest it in the lives of other people? We're actually going to see as we go through some passages this morning, we're going to look at at the life of Timothy. Well, actually, his mentor, Paul, calls himself a father in Timothy's life. You don't have to be a biological dad or mom to raise spiritual children. We can all be investing in the lives of those who are younger. So this sermon applies to everyone, but it will be particularly directed to the moms among us. Now, putting together a Mother's Day sermon uh, presented a unique problem for me. I'm neither a mom, nor am I a very experienced parent. My kids are only 18 months old. If you need parenting advice, don't come to me. I don't know what I'm doing either. Uh, So one of the wiser things I have done in my time preaching here, earlier this week, I sent an email uh, to a few of our, our really experienced, really godly moms here at Grace Bible Church and asked them for their advice. I asked them a number of questions. What would you deliver to us? What would you say to us, especially to new parents of young kids? What would you want us to know? Uh, And these ladies, they all faithfully, they replied to me, they emailed uh, their responses to me as I've looked over their ideas and their encouragement. I got to tell you, it is absolutely golden. It's incredible the ideas that they wrote. I've actually highlighted a bunch of them to apply in my own family because they're incredible. Um, I can only cover the highlights this morning, so I'm going to go through and read you some excerpts from what they wrote, but I have included all of their advice, three full pages in my sermon notes. My sermon notes will be posted on our website. You can go to our website, go to sermons, click on the notes for this sermon. You'll have my preaching notes, but then at the end of it, you'll have all of the advice, ideas, encouragement that these ladies have written. It is absolutely golden. So especially you parents of young kids, go on our website and get these ladies' advice. It's incredible stuff. So let me start by sharing just a little bit of what they wrote. The first question that I asked them earlier this week was, uh, what do you know now about motherhood that you wish you had known when you were a new mom? Let me share just a few of their replies. The first one, listen to trusted friends who have children, but then do what works best for you, your children, and your family. Don't be a people pleaser. Now, the reason that I wanted to start with that little piece of advice is it applies to this sermon as well. I'm going to give you a lot of ideas this morning. None of that is meant to heap guilt upon you. None of that is meant to become a checklist that you mothers feel like you have to slavishly follow. That's not what this is about. Uh, There are general principles that we'll talk about this morning that are true for all of us, but a lot of the specific ideas, well, they'll work in some families and not others. Every family is unique. Every child is unique. So what the Lord wants you to do is not hear all these ideas and feel like out of guilt you have to apply them all. What God wants is that you take these ideas to him in prayer and then he will lead you to know which of these will work best in my family. What are the few of these ideas that we can really apply? So just keep that in mind as we go through this morning. It's not meant to be guilt. It's meant to give you ideas that under the Lord's guidance you can apply in your family. 
So that was the first piece of advice that they had for you. The second is, this too shall pass. One of the ladies shared that as her kids were young, she kept reminding herself in the midst of colic and teething and disobedience, this too shall pass. Like all difficult things in life, it is of a limited duration. The hard days will pass. Keep that in mind. Julie and I have often reminded ourselves of that. Third, don't compare your situation to other people's. It's been well said that comparison is the thief of joy. In comparing our parenting styles, our marriages, the development of our children, when did they sleep through the night, when did they start walking, is a sure setup for either false discouragement or false pride. Look for the unique blessings in your situation and thank the Lord for them. Great advice, not just for moms and dads, for all of us in the Christian life. Don't compare. Comparison is a thief of joy. And fourth, most poetic thing that was said, the nights are long, but the years are short. For those of you who've raised kids, you know that's true. When they're young, it feels like time is not marching on at all. And yet all of a sudden you look up one day and they're gone. They've moved out of the house. They're on their own. Our time with our kids is short. They're in our home only for a very short amount of time. So use that time wisely. Use it well to invest in their lives. And that's actually what we really want to focus on this morning. How do we as parents use our limited time with our kids wisely? How do we invest it well in their lives? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to answer that question by turning to the New Testament. We're going to look at a woman you you may have never heard of, a woman named Eunice, who invested her life wisely in her son. Now, uh, Eunice was the mother of Timothy. You probably know Timothy. He was the the disciple and co-worker of Paul. Paul took Timothy all over the world, and he invested in his life, and then Timothy became an incredible leader in the early church. Timothy was the guy who Paul would send into the hardest situations. If there was a church that was breaking apart, that's where Timothy would be. He was, the, he was Paul's go-to guy. And then towards the end of Paul's life, Timothy was appointed to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus, one of the most important and significant churches in the early history of the church. Uh, Timothy was the guy for that. Timothy was an incredibly mature, godly leader in the church. As we look at the evidence of the New Testament, we learn uh, most of what Timothy grew in, most of his spiritual development was not thanks to Paul, It was thanks to his mom. We meet Timothy, Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, I want to share this this verse with you. It sets some background here. Timothy grew to be an incredibly mature man. It's, It's a little bit surprising, especially in Jewish society. He grew to be an incredibly mature, godly leader in the church, but notice he was from a, a mixed marriage. His mom was a Jewish believer. His dad was a Gentile unbeliever. And as we look at how the rest of the New Testament plays out, there's no evidence that his dad ever came to the faith. Now, I think this is a good place to pause and, and realize something for a second, especially for you ladies who are single moms or you are moms with, with husbands who are not believers, or husbands who are not spiritually engaged in your home, Eunice is meant to be an incredible encouragement to you. Eunice is, is proof that even if, if you don't have a godly man in your life, or he's not a believer, or he's not engaged, guess what? Your kids are not beyond hope. Because of God's infinite grace, God can work through a believing mom to raise up great kids. That's what Eunice did. She raised up one of the greatest kids we have in all of Scripture, Timothy, who led the church once Paul left, an incredible son who grew up with a believing mom. 
who even though she didn't have a believing husband, she stayed faithful to the Lord and God did something incredible through her. Your kids, your family are not beyond hope. God can do amazing things even when it's just you pouring into the lives of your kids. So Eunice is a great example to us. Single moms and, and moms that don't have believing husbands or spiritually engaged husbands, your family's not beyond hope. Okay, so we look at Eunice's life. We look at what she did for her son, Timothy. Turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. What Paul wants to reveal to us this morning, he wants us to see how did Eunice invest in her son? How did she develop Timothy into this incredible leader in the church? And what Paul is going to reveal to us is that that Eunice passed on three great gifts to her son. Three great things that she gave to Timothy that shaped him into the man of God that he became that were the most significant things at making him this mature, godly believer. That's what we want to look at. Uh, Where we begin, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells us the first great gift, really the greatest gift of all, that Eunice passed on to Timothy was her sincere faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Paul says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Paul is thanking God for Timothy in this passage. That's the context here. He's listing out all the things that he is thankful to God about for Timothy. And the thing that's the top of the list, the thing that most fills Paul's heart with joy when he thinks about Timothy is the legacy of faith that Timothy's mom and grandmother left to him. The legacy of faith. By faith here, Paul's talking about belief in the gospel. Belief that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Uh, That faith lived in or, or literally dwelled in Timothy's grandmother. It lived in Timothy's mom and now it lives in Timothy himself. What what Paul's telling us is that Timothy heard and and received the gospel at an early age, long before he met Paul. Timothy heard the gospel from his grandmother and his mom while he was still a little child living in their home. Now, actually, that that makes Timothy not unusual at all. Uh, According to the International Bible Society, 83% of Americans who are Christians made that decision between the ages of 4 and 14. Most people who come to the faith come to the faith as children. While the kids are young and in your home, that is the most strategic time for parents to be passing on the faith to their kids because that's when most children or people in general come to receive the gospel. Eunice passed on her faith to her son from an early age. Really, it's never too early to begin to pass on your faith to your kids. Even when they can't speak yet, even when they can't understand words yet, still you can be talking about your faith with your kids. You want them to always grow up in an environment where your faith is talked about. Now let's, let's get practical. How do we actually do that? How do we pass our faith onto our kids? I want to give you uh, five little points of advice, five ideas to, to think about, most of these from some of our most experienced moms. The first thing to keep in mind as you're trying to pass your faith on to your children is remember who's in control. Remember who is in control of this process. It's not mom and dad. It's God. But believing in the gospel, that's a miracle. Only God can open the the mind in the heart of your child to understand and believe the gospel. Only God can do that. God is responsible for salvation. That's not something on your shoulders. Parents, you're not responsible to save your kids. You can't. Only God can do that. So we, we should be praying like crazy for our kids. 
I encourage you, pray every day that God will draw your kids to him in faith. Pray that he will work that miracle in their lives. And, and don't just pray for their kids. I loved how one of our most experienced moms put it. She said, pray for their friends too, because at some point they will listen more to their friends than they do to you. That's a great point. Uh, your kids are gonna learn a lot about life from their friends, so pray that God would save their friends too. Pray that God would open the eyes of their little friends to know him. Ideally, your child and all of their friends would all come to know Jesus and all grow together in the faith. That's a miracle that God can work. Pray that he would. Pray every day for their salvation of your kids. Second, keep it simple and Christ-centered. As you present the gospel, keep it simple and Christ-centered. If you look back at verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. The promise of life, that is eternal life. The promise that God is going to forgive us and save us and draw us to be with him forever. Paul says, eternal life comes in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the center of our faith. He is the center of the gospel. For that reason, you can't talk about Jesus too much in your home. From an early age, your kids should be hearing about Jesus. Share with him who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. Fortunately, the Bible includes all these great stories that happened during Jesus's life. Your kids can begin to hear those stories and think about those stories before your kids can even speak. Begin to pass on to them the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done because that's the center of your faith. So pass on your faith to your kids by keeping it Christ-centered and by keeping it simple. Watch your language as you're sharing your faith with your kids. Um, Words like justification and substitution and propitiation, uh, those are great words for Sunday morning in here, but uh, probably not for your kids. Your kids aren't going to grasp those words for a long time. Fortunately, you can communicate all of those ideas with very simple language. Give you an example. Substitution. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Whole books have been written about that, but you can convey it very simply. You know what substitution is? Is that Jesus took your punishment in your place. That's what that whole theological term means. Just, Jesus took your punishment in your place. Kids can understand that. They've been punished. They don't want to be punished again. So you tell them, well, Jesus came in love to take your punishment in your place. Justification, that's another one of those words they write whole books about. Very simple idea. God offers to forgive you. You've done things wrong. God offers to forgive you all the things you've ever done wrong and all the things you ever will do wrong so that you can live with him forever. That's justification. Even a child can understand that. So use simple words, but whatever words you use, make sure they're accurate. Um, I, I see a lot of people make, make a couple common mistakes as they're presenting the gospel. The first, um, parents often unintentionally will connect salvation to being a good little boy or girl. Often, we, you know, we want our kids to be good. Every parent wants that. But if we're not careful, we can often mistakenly communicate to our kids that God accepts them or that God loves them or that God saves them if they're good. That's not true. That's not the gospel. That's works-based salvation. We reject that. The Bible teaches that God loves us and saves us based on grace. We don't deserve it. We'll never deserve it. We are bad, yet God loves us. That's the gospel. Make sure your kids understand the gospel is a free gift. God in unconditional love freely offers them salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. All they have to do is receive it. 
Second mistake I often see parents use is uh, they'll say this phrase, it's um, really, it's, it's quite confusing. They'll tell their kids, they'll communicate the gospel this way. Uh, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Now, that's, that's really not the gospel. And in fact, I'll be honest, I don't really know what that phrase means. Jesus is God, so he's omnipresent. He's everywhere, always fully present. Jesus doesn't need our permission to go anywhere. He's everywhere. Um, so that phrase doesn't make sense. It's really not the gospel. The gospel is really simple. Just believe. Believe that Jesus took your punishment in your place, that he died for you, and then rose from the dead. If your child believes those truths, Jesus took your punishment in your place and then rose from the dead, then they're saved. Just communicate to your kids, Jesus loves you so much, he died for you and rose from the dead. If they believe the truth of that message, then they are forever saved. That's where eternal life comes from. So keep your language Christ-centered and keep it simple and clear. Your kids will pick up on it. They'll learn it over time. Third practical piece of advice. We want to pass our faith onto our kids by living out a sincere faith. You you notice, look back at verse 5. That's what Paul commends for Timothy. This legacy of faith he has received, it is a sincere faith. That word means genuine. It means unhypocritical. This faith in Jesus that Timothy possesses, it's it's not just for show. It's not to look good in front of other people. This faith that his mom had was, was the same in the home or in the public. She was always living out this faith. You want to live out a genuine faith in Jesus at all times with your kids. Now, your kids live with you. So your kids are going to see you at your best and at your worst. But no matter what you're at, you want always to be demonstrating the truth of the gospel by your life. That means that um, when your kids really frustrate you and finally you blow it and and you totally uh, blow up at your kids and you get angry at them, um, modeling the truth of the gospel means that you come back to them and you look them in the eye and you say, I'm sorry. You say, you know what, as your mom or or as your dad, I make mistakes too. I do bad things too. God loves me. God's forgiven me. Will you please forgive me too? You're modeling the truth of forgiveness to your kids. Now, when it's not you who blows your top, when it's your kids who blow their top, they misbehave, then, then as a loving parent, you model sincere faith by disciplining them, but then immediately reaffirming your love for them. You want your kids to absolutely understand your love is not something they need to earn or merit. Your love is not something that they forfeit if they're bad. You want to model God-like love to them, that your love is unconditional, that no matter what they do, you will always love them. So discipline, but then reaffirm your love. You want in everything you do with your kids to be showing, demonstrating the sincerity of your beliefs. It's the third piece of advice I got from some of the ladies. Here's the fourth. Get help from other believers. Do you notice in verse five, uh, Eunice is not alone. In this task of entrusting her faith to Timothy, her mom is there, Lois. She is there. She's also a believer. She is also passing her faith on to to Timothy. This is a great reminder. Believing godly grandparents are an incredible gift from God. Those of us who are blessed to to be parents but have parents who are believers, uh, the grandparents of our kids can have an incredible role at passing the faith on to our kids. Now, There's some of us here who um, we either currently do not have believing parents to invest in our kids or our parents have passed away. Um, Good news is 
other believers can come alongside you and play that role. Let me promise you there are plenty of, of men and women in this church who would love to be surrogate grandparents to your kids. My kids have about 20 surrogate grandparents, all who love them, who come alongside of them. I, I have great, they have great grandparents too. We just have lots of people in their lives. The more, the better. Invite lots of godly believing people into the lives of your kids. You want your kids to look up and see lots of adults who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. Lots of adults who they can learn from and grow from. And the funny thing is, I've watched this prove true over and over again. So many kids end up accepting the gospel, not through their parents. Even though their parents are the ones that put in the years of work, day after day, sharing the gospel, it'll be a believing friend or an uncle or a grandparent who will share the faith and all of a sudden their child will just get it and they'll believe. That's the irony of it. The more believing godly adults you surround your family with, the more people who are inputting into your children's minds and hearts, that helps draw them to the faith. So seek out others who can help you. And if you're a parent here this morning and you say, you know what, I I don't have any other believers in my life who can invest in my kids, we would love to help you with that. I'm, I'm sincere when I say there are tons of adults here who would love to be surrogate grandparents to your kids. So please come talk to us. You can talk to uh, one of the ladies helping in children's ministry this morning. Just pull them aside and ask them, uh, how do I get connected with other adults who are godly believers so they can invest in my kids too? Or come talk to me or Jason or Pam or Amber or any of the leaders here this morning. We would love to talk to you about that. We'd love to help surround you with other godly believers who can help you on the way. Okay, next piece of advice that uh, the women gave. Don't get too busy outside the home. I'm just going to read this to you. This is what they put. When you say yes to one thing, then you are saying no to something else. Don't say yes to serving on a committee if it means saying no to time playing with your kids or no to being patient or no to running your home well. Uh, Another one of the moms put it this way. uh, Your kids need your undivided attention for the biggest portions of their days. Doing too much brings stress into the picture and keeps you from interacting with the kids with wisdom. Another mom said, uh, be with your kids. Although significant conversations about the Lord certainly can and do occur during planned time with the Lord, honestly, most of them have occurred as we are just going through the motions of the day. For example, one of my children trusted Christ on the playground at McDonald's. One trusted Christ in the car while running errands. If I'm gone more than I'm with them, those conversations won't happen. And what I think these ladies are getting at is a a principle. Despite what our society tells us, there's actually, in reality, there's no such thing as quality time. Time's not a quality. Time is a quantity. There is only quantity time. You are given 24 hours a day every day. Time is simply a quantity. Now, within that time, there will be quality moments with your children, moments when your children are particularly teachable or open or responsive, but you can't control when those moments happen. You can't even predict when they'll happen. The only thing you can control is the quantity of time you give to your kids. The more quantity of time you give, the more opportunity for God to raise up those quality moments when you really have a chance to go deep with your kids. Now, there's balance here. Uh, I'll tell you, for any woman spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year with your kids, uh, that's just going to lead to insanity, and insanity is not quality time by any definition. And so you need balance, you need rest, you need other things in your life, but the principle is true. The more time you spend with your kids, the more quantity time, the more opportunity God has to raise up quality moments when you can go deep with your kids. 
And, and let me be clear about this too. That is advice not just for you moms, but also for us dads. Dads, we need to be in the home. We need to be with our kids. When I was a toddler, my dad made the choice to give up a high-paying job that was very prestigious. He sacrificed it and instead took a job that paid a lot less, had much less career potential behind it. He made that choice so that he could be home every night before we went to bed. He wanted to give up the travel, the long hours, so he could invest in the lives of his kids. And I'll tell you, now sitting here at 34, I can look back at my life and say that decision made more of an impact on me than just about anything anyone else ever did for me. My dad gave up the home he could have had, the new car he could have driven, the prestige and honor he could have had at work to invest in his kids. So for men and women both, we need to be willing to sacrifice the bigger home, the newer car, the greater prestige and honor at work to invest in our kids. Now, I I see there's a lot of students here, so let me speak proactively to you students for just a moment. Both guys and girls both, but particularly for the girls, just so you know this, um, my wife was actually showing me this really funny YouTube video, a a rap that some moms put together, and there was a lot of funny stuff in it, but one of the things that they really focused on was that Hollywood has been lying to us. Hollywood tries to convince us that women can do everything, that a woman can run a company, raise three kids, keep a clean house, be a beacon of light and charity in the community, take care of her aging parents, and look beautiful and be witty at all times. Well, the reality is that a woman can do any of those things. Women can do any of those things, and and some women can do them better than any man can do those things. But no woman and no man can do all of those things. You cannot do everything. You must choose. You must choose what you're going to focus on, what you're going to prioritize. My wife and I have talked often. Um, Both of us grew up with The Cosby Show. Both of us now dislike The Cosby Show. Because the Cosby show said you could have everything. You could have it all. You could do it all. You can't. Men and women both. Now, most of you are are college students. You haven't yet made the decisions that are going to structure your life. What you need to realize is that you think about a career as you think about family, about kids. You're going to have to make choices. You cannot do it all. So choose where you're going to prioritize. And if you have a family, if you have kids, your priority is that time with the kids for both men and women both. We need to focus on our time with kids, okay, so that we are giving them quantity time so that God can raise up quality moments so we can pass on our faith. Okay, so uh, that's the advice that these ladies had for us about how to pass on a sincere faith in Jesus to our kids. The next gift that Paul talks about, the next thing that Eunice passed on to her son Timothy is her commitment to God's word. Turn to chapter three with me. Second Timothy chapter three. Look at verse 14. Paul says, You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Paul is is talking here about sacred writings, that's scripture. And he's talking about how Timothy was, was schooled in scripture from an early age. Timothy was both learning the content of scripture and the power of scripture. He was coming to recognize that scripture is breathed by God, that it carries God's truth and power behind it. Now, that's actually not surprising to us. Eunice was a Jewish woman in accordance with Jewish custom back then. Uh, Eunice would have begun instructing Timothy in Scripture at the 
age of five, when he was very, very young, she would begin reading scripture to him. Uh, One of our most experienced moms echoed that idea. Uh, She said, they are never too young to discuss the things of the Lord. Really. Uh, The discussion may be quite primitive, but you can do some pretty valuable teaching in those talks. Even when your kids are too young to talk back to you, still you can be reading to them from the Bible. You can be talking about scripture with them. You can be placing into their hearts a love and respect for God's word. Now, for that teaching to occur, we, we have to give it time. Teaching the word of God, Uh, can happen with our kids at program times. Like we can say, okay, at this night, we're gonna sit down and read the Bible together. It can happen then, but really the best time for scripture to get across to our kids is just when we do life with them. Um, One of the pastors here at the church who has grown up daughters, I was talking to him and he said that for his daughters, the most instructive time for them, learning from God's word and valuing God's word was when one of them would hop in the car with him as they went to the hardware store. Invariably, in the car, a discussion would come up. The dad would talk to his daughter about what God says about that, and that would really be the moment that would connect her with the word of God. That's actually a a biblical principle. God himself put it this way in Deuteronomy 6. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. All there at the end of the verse, basically God is saying, in everything you do, just in the normal ebb and flow of life, be sharing the word with your kids. Be living it out and talking about it with your kids. Another one of our moms put it this way. Um, We talked about God at the dinner table. We read books, we sang, we analyzed hymns, we prayed together at dinner and at bedtime. And whenever we were afraid, hurt, or angry, we had fun and the Lord was always part of it. I love that last line. We had fun as a family and the Lord was always part of it. You just make the Lord part of what your family does. In the ebb and flow of life, you keep taking your kids to the word. Now, uh, let's talk practically. How do we do that? How do we pass on a love and commitment to God's word to our kids? A few particular ideas that these ladies gave. Um, The first and most important is you've got to be in the word yourself. You can't pass on to your kids something that you don't have. If you're not in the word of God, then your kids aren't going to be in the word of God either. If you're not in the word of God, you've got nothing to give them. Uh, One of our moms put it this way. uh, Make your first priority your personal walk with the Lord. It all flows down from there. Multiple of the women put it this way in their notes. Uh, Don't just tell them to study the word and pray, but show them by your life. Share quiet times with them so they can learn how to have one when they are older. So moms or dads, when you're having a quiet time, you're enjoying time in the Bible with God, and all of a sudden your kid interrupts you. Well, if it's possible in that moment, rather than setting the Bible aside, maybe just pull them up on the chair with you. Just read the Bible with them or pray with them. It may be chaotic and crazy, but at least they'll be seeing your walk with the Lord. They'll learn from your example how to walk with the Lord. Um, One of the best pieces of advice I thought in the list was uh, one of the moms talked about how the whole time while her kids were growing up at home, she would take her Bible and turn it to whatever passage she was reading that day and she would place it in the middle of the kitchen. Because life happens in the kitchen. That's where we spend our time. So as she and the kids would be interacting in the kitchen, just on occasion, she'd have one of the kids read one of the verses or she'd read one of the verses to the kids. Well, in that home, both symbolically and literally, the Bible was at the center of the family. They just read scripture together. 
So you need to be in the word yourself if your kids are going to be in the word. Uh, second advice that came from these moms, prove the word by your character. Now actually, Paul himself says that. If you look back at verse 14, Paul says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, knowing from whom you've learned them. Paul's saying, Timothy, a big part of the reason that you can count on the truth of the word of God is because you've seen it proven true in the lives of the people who taught you. In the life of your grandmother, in the life of your mother, in my own life, you have seen God's word work as it has built us in character. You can count on the word. Big part of the reason we can trust the word of God is because we can look at the character that's built deeply into the hearts of those who've taught it to us. Now, parents, that means that if, if you choose not to live a godly life, if you choose not to walk with the Lord, then what you are telling your kids is that either the Bible is not true or it's not important. One of those two options must be true by your life. Either it's not true, it can't be counted on, or it's not that important to you because you're not bothering to conform your life to what it teaches. You must back up the truth of the word with the character you live out. That's second piece of advice. Third piece, be interruptible. Be interruptible. I love that one. If we want to pass our love for the word of God onto our kids, we've got to be interruptible. Here's how one of the moms put it. Some of the most significant spiritual conversations have occurred when I was in the middle of something and just stopped, looked them in the eyes and listened. Their thoughts and questions usually don't occur at convenient times or even in an organized way. Those of you who are moms, you know that's true. Never happens when you expect it to happen. Uh, Another one of our moms put it this way. Dust can keep, but moments pass. The teachable moments you have with your children, you don't know when they're going to happen, but when they happen, drop everything. Engage with your kids. The dust will still be there when you return. The email will still be sitting in your inbox. The to-do list will still be sitting on your counter. They're not going anywhere. Don't worry about them. Set all of those things aside. Be interruptible in your life. That goes for dads too, guys. When you're watching the game on TV, when you're working around the house, when you're doing your hobby, whatever it might be, are you interruptible? Are you willing to hit off? Are you willing to sit down with your kids, look them in the eye, and take advantage of that moment that God has given you? That gift where your child is teachable, where he's listening, or, or maybe where he's misbehaving, and you get to step into his life and deliver truth. Be interruptible. Won't happen unless you're interruptible. Okay, third great gift that Eunice passed on to Timothy. Turn to the book of Philippians chapter two. It's just a little bit to the left in your Bible. Philippians chapter two. Paul talks about Timothy. He tells us a lot of great things about Timothy. And what he reveals to us, the third and final great gift that Eunice passed on to her son is her sacrificial love for other people. Look with me, chapter two, starting in verse 19. Paul says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Paul points out something remarkable about Timothy here, something incredible about Timothy, that above all else, what Timothy valued most in life were the interests of Jesus and the people of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of people in this world that care about the interests of Jesus and the people of Jesus, but when push comes to shove, if they have to choose between their own desires and the desires and needs of other people, 
they choose themselves. They choose their desires, their needs over others. Paul says Timothy's the opposite. Timothy willingly and consistently sacrifices his rights and desires to serve other people, to be a blessing to other people. Now, where did that incredible sacrificial attitude in Timothy come from? Well, Paul says, like a child serving his father, Paul gave Timothy a lot of that. Paul was a source of some of it, but before we give Paul too much credit, Acts 16, the next verse from what we read earlier, says of Timothy, and he, that's Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. So before Paul even shows up, before Timothy even meets Paul, already Timothy has a reputation, not just in his own church, but throughout his city and throughout other cities around. He already has an incredible reputation as a follower of God. As a young man who sacrifices his rights and desires to serve other people, where did he get that sacrificial attitude? Not from Paul, it was from his mom. It was from Eunice investing in his life. She's the one who shaped him into a child and then to a young man who sacrificed his rights and desires to care for other people. Timothy was an incredible gift for Paul. When Paul received Timothy as a disciple, Timothy was already almost fully formed. Paul wasn't getting a diamond in the rough. He was getting a diamond that just needed a tiny little bit of polish because of what his mom Eunice had invested in the life of her son. She taught him to care about others above himself. And uh, three ways that you can do that. How do you get your kids to care sacrificially about the needs of other people? Here's some ideas that our mom shared, our most experienced mom shared. First of all, pray with them about everything. Pray with them about everything. One of the moms talked about, uh, you can pray with your kids by asking them questions. And as you're asking them questions about their day, uh, ask them who is sick that we can pray for. Uh, what child in your class has been being mean to you so, so we can pray for them? Ask your child questions so that they can begin to pray for other people and sit there and pray for other people. As they begin to pray for the needs of others, they begin to look beyond themselves. Uh, another very similar suggestion Display a map of the world on a wall, marking locations of different missionaries, and then pray for the missionaries by name. I love that idea. From an early age, you can begin to build in your child a heart for the nations, a desire to see the gospel go forth to the whole world. Talk about those missionaries, pray for those missionaries. I encourage you, go beyond this, and even as a family, set aside money for one of those missionaries who you're particularly going to give to. If your child receives an allowance, encourage them to set aside a portion of their allowance to go to that mission. Teach your child from an early age to care about the world, to care about what Jesus desires for the world. Third idea the mom shared, serve in your church. One of the moms put it this way, your kids need to see that although they are important, they aren't the center of your universe. That's a great point. Kids need to be taught that. All of us are born thinking that we are the center of the universe. We need to be trained to know that we're not. And moms, one of the ways that you do that is once you get past those initial years where all you're trying to do is survive, once you get past that, begin to be involved in ministry. Whether in the church or in the community, begin to spend some time, again, not so much time that you're stressed out, but some time being involved in ministry. And actually, I think the best choice is some type of ministry where your kids watch you where your kids get to share in it and see as you give sacrificially to the needs of others. Your kids need to understand that your life is not all about them, that even though they're important, that we are here on earth to care for the needs of other people. You want your family to be outward focused. And one of the best ways, I love this piece of advice, one of the best ways you can do this is to practice the ministry of hospitality. 
Open your home up to other people, whether they be friends or neighbors, coworkers, people in need, or, or college students, lots of college students here that you guys can adopt and bring into your home and give a warm meal to every month. Let your kids see that. Uh, you, you want your kids to understand that, that my mom and my dad, my house and my stuff aren't all about me. It's about my needs, but also the needs of other people. We're here to meet other people's needs. You want your kids to look beyond themselves, beyond their desires, at the needs of other people. Okay, well, uh, that's enough specific advice to give you guys. There's a whole lot more that these women typed out. Again, just go to the website, go to this sermon, download my notes. All of it will be there at the end of my notes. But some of you are here this morning, especially some of you who are moms of young kids, uh, and you really don't want even one more piece of advice. You already feel overwhelmed as it is. Um, And maybe you feel a a little guilty, a little discouraged as you look at the example of Eunice, or you look at the example of, of some of these moms that we've heard from, and you think, man, I'm I'm not even in the same league as these women. I'm not even worthy to be compared to these women. Well, I have one last thing to read to you from these women. One last piece of advice. Here's what these women would want to say to you. Relax. It is not your job to create a perfect child or be a perfect parent. Neither are possible. Parenting is rooted in God's grace, not in your perfection. Parenting is rooted in God's grace, not in our perfection. How our kids turn out is not ultimately about us. It's ultimately about God, his grace, his goodness, his power. The most important person in your child's life is not mom and dad, it's God. It is God reaching out in grace to your kid. God is the one who makes the difference. God is the one who makes the impact. So I wanna close by turning to the Lord, by turning to him and praying for his grace for us and for our kids. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate Mother's Day. Thank you, Father, for the gift that moms are to us. Uh, Lord, we come before you and we pray for all the moms who are in this room. Uh, Please, Lord, bless them this morning. Please help them to understand uh, what a gift that they are to their kids. Help them to understand how much you love them, how much you value them. Uh, Let them see the significance of their role, of their calling in the lives of their kids. We pray that they would truly feel honored today. And we pray that you would overwhelm them with grace. We pray that you would give them comfort and patience and endurance. We pray, Lord, that they would go from here not feeling guilty, but uh, hopefully with their eyes open to new ideas, to new ways that they can uh, better pass on their faith and, and their love for your word and for other people and the lives of their kids. And for us here who are dads, help us to pay attention to this advice as well. I pray that we would be great dads. I pray that we would join our wives in the raising of our kids, that we would uh, be spiritual leaders in our home, that we would make the job of our wives at least a little bit easier by doing it with them. And Father, I I pray for all who are here who, who are not moms but wish that they were or not dads but wish that they were, please give them patience and endurance. Please give them joy and peace and contentment. And finally, Lord, I lift up our students. Uh, Right now in the midst of their finals, I pray that this afternoon, uh, as they're getting ready for their tests, I do pray that you would uh, remind them to call their moms. Uh, We pray that you would give them strength and endurance to finish their finals well. And we pray that you would shape them into men and women who would honor you, whether they become moms or dads one day or whether they're spiritual moms and dads to their peers or to other people. We pray that whatever you have for them, that you would grow them to be uh, men and women like Timothy, who are incredible lights, incredible leaders in this world. Thank you so much for the gift of your son. Thank you for all that he has done for us. In his name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day.